if you're speaking to the sports fan listens to our show, those are the people that are going to the games, that do care. It's embarrassing. Who would you replace them with? That's over my pay grade. Well, so it's firing them, but you didn't have any hesitation with that. Steve carries himself with a lot of dignity, truth. Thank you for everything. He doesn't take days off. He's one of those guys that he's out there every game. There's a new type of broom out. It's sweeping the nation. (laughs) Are you Googling this? Protect our radio talent. You two are ridiculous. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Polly Sebelia. No Polly, no Steve. Instead, you're stuck with Mario Sacco and Sal Manin today for the next two hours here on ESPN Radio Syracuse and Orange Nation. Uh, hopefully, we'll be getting Sal here in a minute as, as Jordan's working the, the one-twos over here next to me. Uh, we're going to start today, obviously, uh, just a short time ago. Syracuse Director of Athletics John Wildhack releasing a statement regarding the Syracuse women's basketball program. Now, ladies and gentlemen, over the last couple of months, we've reached out numerous times, if it be News Channel 9, if it be local media outlets, uh, to try and, and speak with uh, the Athletic Director and John Wildhack about the regardings of what's going on. And and we have, you know, come on deaf ears and heard silence and, and haven't been able to talk to him. But I will read the statement to you uh, that... In, in short, I, I won't read everything uh, of what was released just a short time ago from Syracuse Athletics. Now, uh, they start off talking about, you know, the investigation is over uh, regarding head coach Quentin Hillsman and staff members within the SU women's basketball program. It starts by saying, following interviews with more than 55 student athletes, uh, this is what we have concluded uh, during exit interviews, surveys, and other reports. Uh, we've come to two findings. With a number of players enjoying a positive experience with the program, a concerning number of players and managers who came forward described an unhealthy environment and culture, which that was laid out uh, first off in the Athletic article uh, released a couple of months ago that kind of kick-started this whole thing. Now, the Athletic Department processes and personally did not adequately identify, escalate, or address concerning behavior or complaints raised by student-athletes. they end with, in response to these findings, the university and the Department of Athletics has taken a number of actions to improve accountability to our student-athletes and foster a culture that prioritizes their well-being. These actions include making several changes to the coaching and administrative staff. We've seen that uh, with head coach Quentin Hillsman resigning and also a couple of uh, staff members uh, w- within the university. It doesn't list if any more uh, have been let go along the way after these findings. Uh, Also, they've contracted a real response, a real-time and honest reporting platform for student-athletes where they can anonymously report any issue about their experience. Uh, Real response provides a centralized documentation that will help the athletic department identify and respond to these issues quickly. Uh, Just a couple more things here wrapping up on this statement. Reforming its process to ensure that they promptly receive Promptly receives, escalates, and addresses any complaints from student-athletes, managers, or staff. Uh, they look to engaging in a culture, engaging a culture consultant to provide training to coaches and administrators on the strategies to promote student-athletes' well-being while creating winning athletics programs. Now, as we said, uh, this was just released a short time ago by Syracuse Athletics. Uh, Sal, I don't know if, if you're... Listening to all that, but uh, John Wildhack releasing a statement, and, and basically they came to two findings. that One, uh, things weren't addressed quickly enough within the program, and, and two, although you know 
players had a, a, a great experience, you know, uh, a bunch didn't, and, and that led to, to the things that had to be done. Yeah, I mean, I guess all you can say at this point is too little, too late. That maybe if they had realized that there were issues going on sooner, you wouldn't have had so many players and now former players who came to SU and had such negative experience. So SU did the right thing, but they did it too late. So in that regard, they they failed as in one of their responsibilities as a institution of higher learning and education. When you look at this, Sal, and, and not specifically the, the, the Syracuse women's basketball program in general, uh, do you see it back to being a, you know, uh, this was happening eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, and, and, you know, the, these these things are coming to light. You know, what went wrong in the process to, to come to this? That's, I think, the, the $64,000 question is, you know, where did it all go wrong? Especially because, again, as we've pointed out, the – Coach Q, at least in regards to just the women's basketball program, the Coach Q who we got to know some and that you would see out and about in the community in central New York doesn't sound like the same individual that you were hearing all this negative stuff about when these articles started coming to light. And so it just goes to show you, one, you don't actually know somebody or how he or she goes about his or her business. But then, too, there was some type of issue that Syracuse just failed to address, and you can't help but wonder why. Why didn't anybody recognize what was a problem and a systemic one in the, that it lasted so long and affected so many players? And obviously, as SU notes and tries to couch things a bit by saying, oh, well, a number of players and most players had a positive experience at Syracuse. There's still enough players that did not. And that's something that, you know, if you are supposed to be an institution of higher learning and supposed to be a school and supposed to be a surrogate parental unit or system, whatever, for all your players, if all that is supposed to be first and foremost, and again, you know, in big time college athletics, you can debate how true any of that is. Then the fact that you have one player who's unhappy should be cause for concern, let alone, you know, what we've heard reported over the last few months that there were so many. So it's sad that it came to all this, that it took, you know, this many players leaving and then voicing their unpleasantness or, or their unhappiness with the athletic before SU finally in, instigated some type of investigation and finally did their due diligence. But hopefully they learned yet again their lesson and that this doesn't have to happen again. So we're in the media and, and we want, especially in today's day and age, uh, of getting out in front of things and, and being out in front of things. Why haven't we heard from Syracuse Director of Athletics, John Wildhack. Why is it consistent statement after statement? And why is he not getting out in front of this and giving an opportunity to give Syracuse side instead of just releasing you know, statement after statement? 
that's that's a good question i mean i i don't i wonder if it's one of those things that what is he gonna say that's going to fix this that you know at some point you have to say you know statements or news conferences interviews that's only going to do so much like when you've had this big of a failure in terms of what you're supposed to get done as an athletic department and as a university that you got to start showing me something before I can believe, you know, any type of well-crafted and thought about and heavily, you know, PR dollied up statement or interview or even, you know, news conference. I mean, the other fact is let's not forget that, Yes, even though he's been at SU for a while, he's still relatively new to this. He's not somebody who, you know, came up through the ranks of college athletics and athletic administration. So, you know, yes, you can point to, all right, you know, this team is struggling or you need to fundraise for this. But, you know, the last year or two is when it's really started to to test him that you know this is the big boy stuff about the job that it's more than you know being a front-facing individual at your alma mater and you know we know his background in television and in the media and he's used to that aspect of big time collegiate sports but you know now it's time to put on your big boy pants and this is what you signed up for. It's more than just showing up on the sidelines when the team goes to a bowl game or makes a deep run in the NCAA tournament, you know, between the Chase Scanlon situation and, you know, the departure of John Desco. And now this, you know, you got a couple of big things that you have to go up there and you got to, you know, face the music for. So do you think more South? Yeah. 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 Do you think more South? And you touched on it there and, and fair enough to say, yeah, I still relatively new and getting into it. And as you said, could, you know, come out and give, give PR answers. So to say, if he did, you know, do those face to face interviews, but do you see this more as a huge overlying problem within the athletics department that, that needs to be addressed as a whole and it's not just the women's basketball program. It's, as you mentioned, the Chase Scanlon situation and down and down and down. It's gone over these last couple of years with the athletics department at Syracuse. I mean, I don't know enough about the, the intricacies of what is or is not going on, you know, day to day there. And I, I know I've obviously we've talked on this show about the women's basketball situation and what happened with men's lacrosse. And I know there's been other reports. There was something big with softball. And so I don't know exactly what did or did not happen that I can say, yeah, this is a catastrophic failure across all levels. But I'm sure every big-time college sports department has at some point had these valleys that they've had to navigate their way through and yeah you you need to figure out something in regards to there needs to be more positive than negative when you're talking about the challenges that you face as an athletic administration and you know it's easy to harp on what's gone wrong but what has gone wrong at least that we know of in recent memory is serious and so you hope that it doesn't take a mass exodus of players or everything that was playing out through social media with regards to Chase Scanlon and the men's lacrosse team, you hope that it doesn't come to that the next time. 
And I think Coach Babers put it uh, the best when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, our livelihood relies on 18 to 21 year olds. And you were 18 at one point in time, you were, you were 21 on a campus at Syracuse, you know, not saying everyone's perfect and no one's perfect, but you know, when, when your job relies on that, you have to, you know, pay extra close attention to details. And as you said, you know, some things have slipped through the cracks here over the last couple of years. Yeah, without a doubt. And so, you know, I, I hope that all the questions do get answered at some point, whenever that is, or, and whoever does come in to take over the women's basketball program, just as we know that there's new leadership atop men's lacrosse, that they're able to learn from this as well and push past it. And so that, you know, this can, if there is anything positive that does come from this and i don't mean to make light of you know what was alleged to have happened in both those programs but it's that it was a learning experience for everyone at su athletics well that was the heavy lifting uh my first time hosting here at espn radio and uh you know i start with the serious stuff but but we got through that and we're gonna step aside for a quick break you're listening to orange nation here on espn radio syracuse Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is Orange Nation. It's too fair of an advantage for me to give a scouting report on the court, two quarterbacks that I think I know well, so I'll let those other defensive coordinators do that stuff and come to their own conclusions. But I think the biggest thing is to understand is that you can't run two offenses and, not, and be successful. So there's, there's things that both these quarterbacks can do and, that, and those core things are the things that the team needs to focus on the most until one separates themselves from the other. It's, I, had, you know, I think somebody's putting words in my mouth. I'm not saying that I want to play two quarterbacks the entire season. I'm just saying in this first game, I think we need to be able to have an opportunity to see both of them. And if that happens, that'll be great. And if it doesn't happen, that normally means that one was doing really, really good or the other one didn't get an opportunity to get in. But I would like to see both of these guys early because I think they deserve to get in early. And then if one of those two separates themselves from the other, then fine. We go from two to one and, and we go about our business. That was Dino Babers last night at Heritage Hill Brewhouse on the Coaches Show. Tune into the block with Brent Axe every Thursday as Brent welcomes the head coach of the Orange, Dino Babers. It's brought to you by Syracuse Orthopedic Specialist. As we said, he was there last night, Sal, talking about that quarterback situation. And, and Sal, all we had to do was ask, and our phone lines are buzzing right now. Uh, people wanting to talk Syracuse football before their first game. Uh, let's go to the phone lines, Jordan, and we're going to bring in uh, Todd on 690. Todd, thanks for joining us here today. You're with Stephen Sal. Or, yeah, Stephen Sal. See, I <laughs> work with him for so long, it, it gets in my head. Todd, thanks for joining us. Uh, how excited are you for this game on Saturday to finally see the Syracuse football team? And we haven't seen much of them uh, in, in camp of what they've been able to show us. I'm not going to put words in Dino's mouth, but I want him to think about this. Syracuse played 11 games in 2020. The Ohio Bobcats here in Cats played three games. That being said, the Cats won twice as many games. The Cats had a 600 times better winning percentage. The Cats doubled our win column. I'll be frank, candid, straightforward. I lost thousands last year on Syracuse football. Thousands. Yeah, thousands of minutes off my life watching that sorry excuse for 11-on-11 Americano football. 
the most important position group on this team's defense is none other than the offensive line. Put it this way. If the O-line is the sieve that it has been the last two years, that defense is not going to leave the field. They will be in an extreme state of unrelenting fatigue that leaves them physically drained by Series 4 of Game 1. Taking all of this into deep consideration, I know that cat claw is going to turn into a sad crawl. Hughes 37, Cats 14. Hey, while I'm here, do you, have, do you know of any ritzy hotels in the Bronx? Because the Orange Men are, punch, are going 9-3 and three and punching a ticket to the pinstripe bowl. That's our city. Name on the front of the jersey, not the back. R.I.P. East End Bar and Grill from the Coco Deck. Signing off, Schrader. Schrader. Todd with a call from Schrader. the jungle tonight, today, Sal. I, wow. I felt like we were on the jungle for a minute there with, with Todd on 690. Bringing the heat. Todd coming in hot. I, I'm sure everybody in Orange Nation would sign up immediately for 9-3. and three. He was starting to worry me when he said he lost thousands I, I, no. last year. I, I, I was going to say, that's his own there? stupidity after losing probably the exactly. first hundred exactly. uh, uh, on, on continuing to go with Syracuse. Let's, let's George, let's play another quick uh, bite from Dino Babers from last night's show on uh, Ohio's new coach, who's not really new, and, and Tim Alman making his his coaching debut for Ohio, uh, but he's been there under Frank Solich for a long time. Well, I know Tim very well. We've shared bread before and, you know, actually talked X's and O's. I don't talk X's and O's with a lot of people, but I have done it with him uh, out of respect for uh, Coach Solich. He was a very, very close uh, compadre of mine. We've, we've gone to battle in 1998 at the, in the uh, Holiday Bowl, Arizona versus Nebraska when I was the uh, offense coordinator at Arizona, and he was the defensive coordinator at Nebraska. And ever since then, we kind of started a relationship. So even though we competed against each other in the MAC conference and actually on the same side of the, of the conference, uh, I've always had the utmost respect for him. And uh, that's a good program. That's a good football team. We're going down there to play, and we're going to be playing at, at their place. So it's, uh, it's going to take everything we've got, crossing T's and dotting I's, to go down there and get a W. Sal, Coach Babers mentioned that that he's, he's known him for a long time. It's not like, you know, things are going to change with the way that this Ohio Bobcats team runs its offense and its defense. But you see maybe some first-game jitters out of him. I mean, he's taken over a head coaching job that he's only had for the last couple of months here because Solich stepped down in late summer due to health reasons. No, I, I don't think there will be any jitters. I mean, Tim Albin's been there since day one yep. with Frank Solich. So, you know, it's not like he was an assistant that was brought in just a couple years ago and all of a sudden he's elevated to the big chair. So I don't think there's going to be any issue in that regard for Ohio as far as jitters, first-time head coach, anything like that. I think that it's going to be come down to who can create just enough turnovers, who can, you know, control the emotions of, you know, first game and so long. And I mean, first kind of start to a real season for both programs, yeah, for, you for know, two years. basically. Is, is, kinda. Yeah. Cause as we've pointed out several times, I mean, Syracuse at least kind of played a full schedule last year, kind of had a normal season in terms of they were able to start, 
camp in August and go all the way until December with games, whereas Ohio played three games last year. And that was it. That was their 2020 season. So and, I'm and, not worried and, if I'm a Bobcats fan about Tim Albin. And, and the, the Syracuse players have told told us numerous times, it just it just wasn't didn't feel right last year as far as how team meetings would go and, and everything. And that's no excuse for only winning football, one football game. Uh, but but they, they know what happened last year and want to put that behind. Sal, let's open the phone lines up again. We got Scooter in Jamesville joining us. Scooter. All right, there we go. <laughs> hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, Sal. Hey, Mario. Uh, How's it going? At least I'm still uh, kind of hungover from last night because, you know, I'm a Boise State fan, so uh-huh. oh, I was up <laughs> to the exception. And, I, we weren't going to bring it up, Scooter. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I said before the season started, been listening. This could be the worst record in Boise in the 25 years I because you don't hire a defensive coordinator as your head coach of Boise. It's almost like putting 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 pants on the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the and the last night proved that that's why you don't hire defensive coordinators. I, I don't know, Sal or Mario. You guys stayed up and watched it, but when you're down, when you're down six. And in the first three plays after Central Florida takes take, you know, takes the lead, it's three, it's three straight runs up the middle. I'm going, God, I'm watching, I'm watching Syracuse and, and, and Greg Robinson all over again. Well, if you know anything and, about Sal and I, uh, we, we burn the candle on the, uh, the yeah. wick on the candle, Don. So uh, we're normally up at that time watching those, those crazy West Coast games. Well, ironically, the game was supposed to start at 7. And they had the, and they actually had the rain delay, so I I was laughing because I said, man, I, you know, I'm not used to watching Boise State at seven. Usually it's ten thirty, and all of a sudden the game didn't start to ten because of the weather delay. But the bottom line is, uh, it, it, to me, uh, it, I, I never understood why people hire defensive coordinators as a head coach, especially when you've always been an offensive team. And uh, I had to laugh at Gus, Gus Malzahn last night. I didn't. He he was actually worth the, uh, staying up to see him on the sidelines. He, he's, his arms were flapping all the way through the game. I I, I don't know. It, it, it was funny. Funny watching them. As far as Ohio, looked like a chicken. I I, I want to know, Scooter. Uh, yeah. what, what we posed at the beginning, at the top of this hour. Yeah. Are you satisfied as a Syracuse fan by going six and six every year, or do you want to see this team? Win ten games one year, and then you don't care for the next five years. No, no, it's it's it, it's almost like rooting for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, basically, win one one championship, and you're lousy. I, to me, I, I I look at the I look at where you are. I mean, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Boston College are going to play every year. And I can tell you me, this, Scooter, being being from Western PA and being a Pittsburgh yeah. fan. They're not happy with with Narduzzi, and, no. and even if he's winning eight games a year, they want that program to be a ten win program every year. They're like well, Syracuse with with how Pitt teams were in the late eighties with Marino, with Tony Dorsett, and, and and that's what Syracuse is so enamored on the the nineties of the McNabb eras, the McPhersons, and, and down the line, and and quite frankly, guys, it hasn't happened for two three decades now. Well, uh, it, it's just interesting to see that. Like, I've always correlate Wake Forest with Syracuse. You know, we can't let Wake Forest jump ahead of us. If we have to now jump over Wake Forest to be to be good, we're we're all in trouble. And Wake Forest, I correlate because it looks like a private school uh, was was a basketball school for the most time. And I tell you, you guys got polls 
And I'm actually a diehard football fan, but but you know, take away the 2003 championship. I'm wondering if you took a poll and said, which would you rather win, a championship in football or basketball? You had your choice, either or. I think this town split 50-50, and I think I, I, can, I can think about 50 other schools. It's football first, basketball second. And I think Florida proved it. I think they won a national title in basketball and football the same year, and I think the uh, I think the parade was about two hundred thousand for the football team, about fifty thousand for the basketball team. But uh, the interesting part about Syracuse football is that the state seems to support the basketball, and 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 and, and the city only supports the football. Where you go anywhere else, State College, Pennsylvania, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it's totally the opposite. Yeah. You actually need the whole state to get the hundred thousand, and you might get ten thousand for the basketball, but. We seem to be the other way around where maybe because we've got professional football at both ends of the state that we don't, you know, the state doesn't really care about football in Syracuse, but they do care about uh, basketball compared to other, uh, like, you know, top flight schools. It's the other way around. Well, Scooter, uh, we appreciate the phone call as, as always. And uh, I don't mean to cut you short here. We need to take a quick break, get some rest. It's going to be a long weekend, Scooter. We've got a lot of games coming up uh, in the NFL seasons here right around the corner, even better for us. We'll step away. You're listening to the Orange Nation show here on ESPN Radio, also on QSportsTalk.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back after this. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Are you sure you understand the risks of stock ownership? Shut up and take my money. I'd buy that for a dollar. That guy's turning this place into some kind of business. I've been a rich man and I have been a poor man. I choose rich every time. It's time for Buy or Sell on Orange Nation. No Steve, no Pauly, Samanine, Mario Sacco here with you today. Bringing back in producer extraordinaire Jordan. Jordan, isn't it good that, that you're not getting yelled at or, or, you know, kicked out of here 24-7? That was nice. For, I think for you, a day. I think you realized how soft I am yesterday and you've adjusted yeah. accordingly and I appreciate it. Okay. What I also appreciate is the fact that you're going to have all the coverage of Syracuse football on ESPN Radio Syracuse and QSportsTalk.com that you could ever want. And that, of course, starts with the Syracuse football pregame show. That's presented to you by Farone and Son Funeral Home. And Bren Axe, every pregame, he's going to break down the matchup of the day. You'll hear from head coach Dino Babers. You'll hear from various Syracuse players. You'll get an opponent scouting report. And that's all going to be on the Syracuse University football pregame show presented by Farone and Son Funeral home, and speaking of Syracuse football, we're going to start by or sell with a little bit of Syracuse football because Chris Elmore believes that Sean Tucker could have a, quote, legendary season and could deserve the number 44. That's uh, that's pretty high praise. I want you to buy or sell Sean Tucker becoming the first 1,000-yard rusher for Syracuse since Jerome Smith in 2012. Sal, I'll let you kick it off first, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. Yeah, I'm I'm going to sell this uh, just because I think the way that Syracuse goes about things offensively, I just don't know that there's going to be – I mean, you're talking to get to 1,000 yards, you have to have one back who's getting like 225 carries over the course of a season and then is averaging better than four and a half yards a carry. And I just don't think that there's going to be that number of touches for Sean Tucker, especially if they're getting – 
Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard are both back, right? They opted out last year. They are both back, and, and, and Cooper Lutz is thrown into that mix as well. Yeah, and also like a part of the run game that Syracuse has used under Dino Babers is they throw that quick out or that you know wide receiver screen, or obviously they do have designed quarterback runs at times. So it's not to say that they're not trying to run the football. It's they play the game, they approach the run game differently than they did 10, 12 years ago. And so I think that they're, it's not, not to say that, you know, I think Sean Tucker is going to have a bad year. I just think that now that there's a complement of backs that they can give the rock to, they're not going to have to give him 200 plus carries over the course of the year. I think it's going to be close. I, I think he is right around the 900 mark this year uh, rushing the football. I think they do want to. Yes, they have a, a lot of those guys back, Sal, but, but all the talk and all the around the running back core is what can Sean Tucker do this year uh, off the year he had last year and, and the leap that, that he's going to make from his freshman year to his second, you know, an, another year uh, under his belt. And, and I think they're going to give him 15, 16 touches a game. Now, if it be, you know, 15, 16 touches a game, handing the football off to him or, or finding ways to get him out in space, uh, you know, that'll be a different story. Is he still, I remember last year, he would like tweet out his stats after every game. Like he was keeping track of his stats. So if he's still doing that, maybe he's going to the coaches and saying like, I need more touches. Like last game, I only. I'm 67 yards shy here. Give me, give me the ball. Exactly. So, so maybe that's what does put it over the top is he's, he's cognizant of where he is in terms of touches and yards. So maybe he's going to the coaches and is like, nope, I keep my own stats. Here it is laid out for you. Uh, I need 13 more carries and, and 62 more yards. Right. Transitioning from Syracuse football to Syracuse basketball, because since the world of NILs opened up, Buddy Beheim has been breaking ground. Now he's believed to be the first college athlete to receive compensation for an autograph signing. Uh, legally, of course. Uh, sorry, here at Johnny. Syracuse. Yeah, here. Sorry. Yeah, they, they've, they've been held elsewhere, but here at SU. Yes. Sorry, Johnny Manziel and others as well who did it illegally. But that's going to be at Apex, Destiny USA. That's tomorrow at 11. He's also going to be doing Eric Devendorf's Circuit Symposium Camp, and they've got a roundtable on the 19th where Jimmy Beheim and Ryan Blackwell, other guests will be there. I want to know, are we buying or selling Buddy buying Jim Beheim lunch next time they go out? Because Buddy is raking it in right now. No, no. Dad still has to pay. Exactly. At least through college. Come on, it's not a, it's not enough that you know he's being coached by his dad, Jim Beheim. You you have to agree, Coach Jim Beheim obviously made the Beheim name famous first, maybe, which is maybe, helping Buddy out. Maybe every once in a Come while, on. Jordan, he can surprise him after practice, or, or Buddy's in there shooting around, and, and Dad comes by uh, to check check things out, and you know Buddy has lunch with him, but it's not happening. What about a coffee? Come on, something. If your parents' names are on buildings, or in this case, a court, the one of the most famous basketball courts in the whole world, then yeah, dad has to buy your pita pit. I'm sorry. That's Jimmy Johns. That works. 
All right. Uh, let me give you one more. Um, we already talked a little bit of Derek Jeter, and we'll be quick, but I'm not sure. You guys probably did see the story, though. We're going to shout out Yankee Spanish radio play-by-play man Ricky Ricardo because he saved John Sterling from a flooding car when he was driving home from the Yankees' 4-1 win over the Angels. Do we buy or sell Ricardo being the Yankees' MVP Wednesday night despite Garrett Cole's 15 strikeouts? Definitely the MVP with everything that that city has been hit with, the whole area down there, the Jersey PA corridor um, up and down. Uh, the pictures that I saw of subways being gushed with water, uh, Yankee Stadium, the whole outfield completely underwater. So I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the Somerset, the Yankees I did, yes. baseball field and, and the parking yeah. lot where they said, you know, a majority of their players, a lot of their belongings and stuff, because, you know, at that level, you know, you're basically living out of your car because you're making pennies. Uh, well, yeah. Did you see the, the the players all said that it wasn't just like their cars, but their pers- clubhouse got yeah. demolished and yeah. they were on the road. So they leave all their gear back in the clubhouse. And so they lost like all their bats, gloves, uniforms, yeah. everything. It's wild. You know, it was unfortunately I've lived all of that. I've seen all of that yep. and been a part of it. But you're not supposed to see it in New York or New Jersey, Pennsylvania. No. I mean, tornadoes, I you know, six, seven yeah. tornadoes touching it, it. Wild scenes, and we're thankful up here. And we ran a graphic last night. Uh, Jim did during the the weather forecast, and Central Park uh, got seven inches of rain in one day. It rained a lot up here in the month of August, uh, up here in Syracuse, and we only had six point five inches. So, I, I mean, unbelievable uh, things going on right now. Yeah, so shout out Ricky Ricardo for uh, yeah, great saving job. John Sterling. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he Cole's got 15 more Ks yeah. back in him next start, too. Yeah, hopefully he goes. And Ricky, I thank you. Yeah, and we started the segment talking about Syracuse football pregame. We'll end it telling you about postgame because after every Syracuse football game, you can tune in for the Burdick Ford, Burdick Toyota, Burdick Lexus, and Burdick BMW postgame. It takes a team. On the post game, you're going to get to see the post game pressers with Coach Dino Babers and select players. You can call in with your takes on the game. Get on QSportsTalk.com, which, by the way, you subscribe, you get a free t shirt. It's free with Amazon Prime. If you're on QSports.com, QSportsTalk.com, you can see all of that and more, but it'll also be on ESPN Radio Syracuse and ESPN Radio Utica Rome. Thanks to Burdick Ford, Burdick Toyota, Burdick BMW, and Burdick Lexus. Can I kick you out now? I've been waiting for that for the last. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it, to be honest. I wouldn't mind it. We're struggling. All right. We're hit, hitting up against the uh, top of the hour here shortly. Jordan, uh, you want to do your own read? Yeah. Kick yourself out? If you're going to kick me out, we'll remind everybody that it's brought to you by BugsBegone.biz. Even if they're running your board in your studio, if you need help removing pesky pests, you can go to BugsBegone.biz. That's BugsBegone with two E's like the bug. And like I do to Steve, Paulie, Mario, Sal, anybody else we can get in here, BugsBegone.biz. Gets me out. All right. See you. We'll be back after this.